Hello, everyone, and warm greetings from Miami. This is the Brand Architect Podcast, and today I'm hosting a woman of value, a woman of influence who has impacted my life and career for a couple of years since we met on Clubhouse. Ewin Tavakoli, it's a pleasure to have you. Welcome. Thank you so much, Virgilia. Pleasure uh, to be here, and thank you for the invite. So, Ewin, as a global citizen right, of Iranian descent. You are currently living in Switzerland. Multiple, may speak multiple languages. As I was saying, global citizen, you are a lawyer, a woman of influence. You are a business advisor as well, but also an activist. The work you've been doing on behalf of Iranian women and uh, Iranian people in general for the last couple of months, it's so meaningful. And today we are celebrating the memory of a woman who lost her life in conditions that, that are not human, right? Basically just being, just for being herself. So um, I would love for you to share your thoughts. Obviously, we will be discussing today many topics, including women in business. But I would like to start with this because this is a cause very dear to your heart and subsequently to my heart because I'm a woman. I'm a global citizen myself. So please share with us your thoughts. Thank you so much also for this opportunity, Virgilia. You have impacted my life as well. So uh, it is always great to meet people of uh, influence, of impact from different parts of the world. At the end of the day, the world is becoming a village and we are all becoming global citizens. And these connections are so, so meaningful and in fact impactful also to me. So many thanks for pointing that out. Um, also a pleasure to be here and also that you have uh, picked that topic because uh, we we have been seeking, I mean, as, as uh, Iranian diaspora and also Iranians in Iran, we have been literally looking for uh, people or for media or for channels and uh, for podcasts, for example, to help us spread the voice, to help us spread the message and to help us give the Iranians in Iran because of the whole internet problems, because of the whole uh, media issues, because of lack of um, independent journalists in the country and so on and so forth. And also because of manipulated media of the regime that is governing governing that country, uh, we have been facing a lot of restrictions and issues. And therefore, for us, it has been always the priority number one if not two or one or two, to seek media coverage and also to spread the voice and give the Iranian people uh, a voice, the voice that they deserve. Um, you just mentioned a woman who was murdered just for uh, being herself. And I just wanted to bitterly correct you that she wasn't even murdered for being herself. She was murdered for not being 100% what they wanted to be. That there is a big difference. If she wanted to be herself, probably she would have looked and acted totally different, like us, like me and you, speaking here in freedom, uh, beyond borders, different time zones, different continents, speaking about same and similar values of humanity, not only women rights, because you know women rights are human rights, so life is coming out of women. But that young girl, that 22 young girl, Gina Mahsa Amini, she was murdered by morality police under humiliation, under violation of all possible human rights, losing her freedom, uh, being uh, um, discriminated, oppressed, uh, abused, uh, and also then beaten to death. 
So only because her headscarf was allegedly not the way that they were um, expecting her to, to have it on. So that is far beyond actually being herself. And that was a, actually a, a sad correction to say it was not even that. It was not even for being herself. It was for something that probably for you or for many, many other people in the Western or in the free countries, it is beyond imaginations. They just cannot even understand it. Say, what, what do you mean? The scarf, instead of being here, it was here. And then you just lose your life within days or hours. That has been the tragedy of our, let's say, September. It happened exactly September 16th. And then the movement and the revolution, the supportive uh, movement countrywide started exactly the day after. And what's, I think, what really touched me, um, Eowyn, as you know it yourself, I'm coming from an ex-communist country. Until I was 14 years old, I lived under the threat of not being able to express our thoughts. I remember very precisely, Grandpa used to say, everything we speak here in the house stays here, otherwise we are going to go to jail. So I think for people like myself who already lived under fear and uh, with lack of freedom of speech, this takes a very strong connotation. It's not just a woman being murdered. It's the freedom being murdered. It's the freedom of women to live a life that is their own, that they have control over, right? And those small people might think, oh, it's just a small thing. You have to cover your hair. That's not it. Mm -hmm. This has actually a very powerful impact. You are taking someone's freedom away through small gestures that collectively and cumulatively have a strong effect. And this is how you keep people in fear. And that's what I wanted us to talk about today. This is just one small thing. Just if, if this revolution will only fix the fact that women have to cover their hair, that's just 1% of what needs to be fixed. Considering that you have all this expertise and you know um, the culture and obviously the politics, would you like to share with us more profound, I would say, how do you see this being part of the large narrative, so to speak? I mean, before maybe sharing how it can be a large narrative, I can say I was smiling, as you just said, uh, you're also coming from an ex-communist country and you're familiar and you can relate with living under pressure and fear. Of course, I'm not happy to hear that. I'm That breaks my heart to know, to get to know every single human being who has experienced something like that. It doesn't matter on, on, on what scale and in which country and under what regime, but fear is fear and terror comes out of spreading fear and uh, ruling by abusing fear as a tool to demonstrate power and strengths, which is actually fake power and strengths because to demonstrate real power, you don't need to, to have people uh, fear you. You can just even empower them and then you will become more powerful. So that made me at the same time happy that you can then relate to our issues. You know, although I was sad to hear that you have gone through the same or similar experiences in your past or in your country and what have your father told you. I remember also the same things that my father has been telling us. I mean, as, as kids, even especially for me, myself, not being a, a let's say, Persian Iranian, but Kurdish Iranian were considered there amongst other uh, uh, ethnicities as minorities, which is a very ridiculous term because recently I was thinking there are like over 10 million Kurds in Iran, millions of other ethnicities in Iran. So if all of these ethnicities are minorities, then who is considered 
majority. <laughs> Who is that uh, power who's calling himself or herself the majority? If we are all minorities, although we have the power, we are, we have been the ancient inhabitants of that uh, soil and that country. So we have been shaping the history altogether. We cannot now separate those people because that's the part of the freedom of speech and expression as well. When you start suppressing people uh, for being different because you fear them, because you know they can be powerful if they come together. So you make them separate, you make them feel separate, you make them even uh, feel uh, discriminated by one another, feel them, uh, make them feel weaker. And then when you make them feel like they are minorities, then they will start accepting and understanding they do not have the, or they are not entitled to claim the same fundamental rights as the so-called majorities. And that is how, with the time passing by, all those people considered or have been called minorities, they suddenly start getting used to that complex in, 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 in their mindset that I'm not entitled probably, I'm not entitled to speak my language, mm -hmm. I'm not entitled to, to show the way I am, as you just mentioned a little earlier, or I'm not entitled to practice my beliefs or to wear what I am uh, used to or my, my, let's say, historical heritage. I'm not uh, uh, entitled to, to show all that or to um, maintain all that. So these feelings have been also somehow injected to us in the head, in the heart, and that fear of not even expressing yourself as a child, as a school child. Not don't say, uh, be cautious when you're saying you're you're a Kurdish girl, for example. And my name, like Gina's name, it's a it's a very uh, typical Kurdish name. Ewen, by the way, means love in Kurdish language, but it has been always very, um, let's say, weird for the, let's say, for the majorities or where I was born also in Tehran, because uh, the majority of Tehran is also like Persian, Farsi speaking. And people have been asking me also, how do you pronounce your name? How do you write your name? How do you spell your name? What does it mean? What a weird name? What a strange name? And then already as a child, you get used to like, oh, I'm not probably a part of the whole, you know? which is very, very tragic. You are being marginalized. Correct. And you start kind of adjusting to that small mindset, right? Because as a child, you have no control. But what happens hey, when, I wanted to ask you, when as a child, you are sort of a victim, right? To this belief system that is being created artificially around you and you become the subject of it. Every time, even though freedom, let's say in certain countries like my own, freedom... Um, started, but deep in my heart, I still have that fear, Awen. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe I'm not supposed to talk about it, but I will because I don't Do care. It. I was reprimanded on Instagram last week uh, for three months. I'm not going to be able to monetize for the simple fact that I posted, which I thought was a joke. It was a small, I would say, parody involving a politician in this country who is currently in power. And I thought it was a joke. People joke around. And for three months, I will not be able to monetize that fear a win for me it was not the fact and that's why the reason i'm sharing this i want to understand what fear is when you start living in fear since you're a child to me it's not about three months not being able to monetize it's just three months it's 12 weeks it took me back to commonness mm -hmm. that fear I, I shared with chris from wayne jack studios i said chris i'm feeling so uncomfortable i was in the street crying that fear that got instilled in me as a kid that i don't have freedom of speech came back so what i want people to understand is that even if freedom is being reinstated the people who lived under that fear will never be free 
And we owe it to the young generations. We owe it to start now, not tomorrow. Each of us can utilize their voice. If I can give you a platform on my podcast, I can do something. I think people think we have to start something monumental. No, every person can raise their voice. And I don't want, you know, Iranian children to continue to live that because by the time they will be my age, they will still feel the same fear each time it will be reinstated. So the time is now. And that's why I feel so passionate about this. Now, Awen, we do see some support. Julia, may I I make a comment? Because this was so powerful what you just mentioned. And I could relate with all my heart. Living with that, living with that fear and relating to that and bouncing back to that trauma when you're an adult. This is what has happened to me also throughout the past three months, now almost 102 days, actually. I could not even believe it because I thought past bygone is bygone. So now we have to really be powerful to look, um, you know, ahead and then make, build our future, etc. But somehow you feel like that fear that they have put into your heart that terror that has been so strong that you still, after like 25 years of myself experiencing similar things, not only in my childhood, but also in my youth, that I reconnect to those fears, that I reconnect to those terrors. And then it somehow um, let a kind of trauma comes up, bubbles up in, in my head and in my heart. And so I get even, even, even more attached emotionally. And I feel even, even more committed to move forward, to help, to to raise the voice, to sitting here in Switzerland, having that freedom, having that possibility, being at peace and security. I think that is a luxury that I have at the moment in my hands to leverage it for the voice of a whole nation. A lot of people have been asking me, oh, I think you have been neglecting your business a little bit in the last times. I said, what are you talking about? We're talking about one small mission. And on the other hand, we are talking about the destiny of a country, the history of a nation. So just let me know which one which one is more powerful and more valuable at the moment to focus on. I can return to my business at any time, next month, next week, whatever. But there are moments, historical moments, critical moments. If I miss those things, then I would feel probably guilty the rest of my life that I have not contributed to to the destiny of my people. So I'm very grateful that you mentioned it. I had almost tears, as you said, you you had the same feeling reconnecting with those incidents or those issues because of the fear ingrained in your heart or in your brain by those terror mechanism. So it's the same, you know, dictators have the similar way of terrorizing people. One is Islamic, one is a communist, one is, I don't know, whatever, but um, they have almost, uh, unfortunately, the very same manner of, of uh, suppressing people. I'm, I'm glad you shared that as well. Uh, you know, this interview is quite emotional for me as well, because I do care. I do care for the world. And one of the reasons I started this podcast, not because I wanted to have a mic in front of my face and look fancy on Instagram or social media. I wanted to be a voice, one of the many, many voices that are all over the world, someone who cares, because if we all care a bit more every day, it has a cumulative effect. I believe when um, Martin Dr. King said that the danger starts the moment we start being quiet about things that matter. And it's very important to speak up. We are living under, I would say, on a global scale. The world is living an unprecedented, I would say, moment. 
But I don't think we should leave, we should never allow fear to stop us. And what bothers me, I do see how media platforms start, suddenly are quiet about Iran. And now we are shifting our focus on Elon Musk. I adore him. I think we should leave him alone. <laughs> I mean, I think this is just a distraction. It's very cleverly distracting audiences from what's important and putting attention on someone that I truly believe he's trying to do good in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and instead of just prioritizing things that on a global scale can impact our lives, now we are intentionally diverting the focus so people can be misled. Uh, I look at media as being a force. Uh, I grew up thinking that art, music, media have the power to change the world, are the tools that are supposed to empower individuals to think for themselves, to get inspired, to act on, um, uh, on, on generating change. So I would love to hear your thoughts. How do you feel? I don't live in Europe. Obviously, I live in the United States. But I would love to hear your thoughts. How do you feel that media is currently portraying what happens in Iran? Obviously, you have friends there, um, relatives. Is it accurate? Is it done enough? What are your thoughts? Thank you so much for bringing that up. I really, really appreciate it. And you already like made the, how to say, paved the way for, for what I wanted to say for uh, by also pointing at uh, the people that are, of course, they are of relevance, but... You know, there are sometimes things that are vital and crucial and there are things that are just important and good to know. And there are those must-know stuff. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, for the past couple of months, of course, the issues that we have been facing and we've been dealing with so emotionally and also physically, emotionally, um, uh, psychologically with regards to what happens in Iran, uh, they should have been really like not maybe every day because we have also other places in the world, but almost like every second day on a headline of one single media, at least, you know, I'm talking about the major ones. I'm talking about New York Times. I'm talking about Washington Post. I'm talking about, you know, Bloomberg, BBC. I'm talking about really those big ones that um, that actually their main mission is covering the relevant uh, in the world, you know, what is impacting humanity, what is impacting the world. It can be um, human rights, it can be economics, it can be sociological issues, it can be political and emotional stuff, but whatever which is really, really relevant for the world, that must be reflected with the highest relevance. And the rest, I mean, the media is not only like one page or one fr front page, everything else can come af afterwards as well. But one thing that can be reflected as... Um, important and as priority that is something that i think those people also in those medias uh, they realize it because that's their work they know how to navigate it mm -hmm. but unfortunately they know how to re-navigate it towards other things that are just attracting attentions to bring a little more uh, like uh, revenues and more uh, like false attention actually because we all know unfortunately that uh, the major medias earn their money with uh, drama sex and politics but politics, also, they are not being covered in a way that they need to be. They are looking at, okay, where we can get attention and where we can get tension, you know, get like traction and tension from the audience. And that is actually the wrong way and not the human way. Because they may say, we have been covering political uh, developments in area X, Y, Z, but not that area that is at the moment of, of highest relevance. Because I always mention, as I have been also in a couple of like... Um, TV interviews and, and radios and, and newspaper, 
when, when they were asking me, you know, but it's Iran, it's just too far away, or Middle East, they're always having a problem. I said, wait, they're having a problem because the other part of the world have not been caring enough, because they have not been covering enough, because they have not been interfering in a positive way whenever, which was um, of meaning, and when, whenever it was really vital for the people of those areas. They're not fighting because it's funny. They're not being killed during their wedding parties. They're not being killed one day before their birth birthdays they're not being killed because it's funny to die with the age of 16 no that's not and we have been already facing numbers of a number of the victims um, murdered by the dictator regime of Iran now almost 70 minors or children and 700 um, including 70 minors so that is that is brutal and almost 20,000 people in jail and in prison and most of them we are not even aware or informed where they are at the moment they have been deprived of their basic rights, like contacting their family, like their next families and saying, mm -hmm. this is where I am, or get me a lawyer, or I'm being sentenced to death. I need to go through a uh, fair trial. No, nada, everything like fake show trials, um, uh, uh, fake com compulsory uh, manipulated confessions and uh, um, witness and testimonies also from them themselves or from their families, etc. So now recently we had two young boys, 22 year old and 23 year old uh, being executed by hanging, which is like most barbaric, I mean, killing is killing. It's 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 off awful. But there are methods that they are like. We're in twenty first century, and media has not been really fairly and properly covering those issues. But three four weeks ago, they have been covering massively. Oh, Iran regime has decided to because it was convenient. Thank you so at much. The at the time, it's it so was better. just the way to get attention, to monetize properly, and monetize. once the news were no longer news, let's just look for something sensational that could get more attention. In my view, Correct. when we silence people, we minimize humanity. So I feel that media has the responsibility to speak up because they can no longer minimize all of us. I think what happens on a global scale right now frightens me because some people live in fear, so they can't, they don't have a voice, right? They can't defend themselves. Other people are aware about what happens and they prefer to just keep quiet. Uh, there is someone that I looked, uh, I, I thought highly of, and I wanted you to clarify because I might be wrong, but I just wanted to make sure. Um, I really admired for quite some time Amal Clooney as a human rights lawyer. I thought she was standing up for what's right. And during this Iranian revolution, can I call it this way, as an international human rights lawyer, shouldn't you get in involved more? Now, please correct me if she did get involved and we haven't heard on the news. I would like for you to correct me. Uh, that is a pretty unfortunate fact uh, that you mentioned, and um, I personally have somehow related with her, with her cause, with her mission, with her um, elegance, with her uh, intelligence, and with her influence worldwide, not only in the legal community, but also as a, as a powerful woman, as a Middle Eastern woman. That's actually the area that we're always calling it, the area, the countries of the constant crisis. You know, when people are exactly coming from those areas and make it to a level that they can be of influence, they can be of impact, um, they can be powerful, they can be uh, knowledgeable, uh, and they can really... Um, 
let's say, move mountains by arranging a cause or by getting involved in a cause, that is, of course, admirable. And I personally have been an admirer for a long time. But we're all disappointed that during the past three, more than three months now, uh, we heard only one very, like, short statement from the Clooney Foundation or something that, uh, yeah, we uh, we are concerned and we condemn the violence or something like that. But very, um, as you said, a very sad to say, very comfortable statement and very conservative statement. And at the same time, we have been experiencing Chelsea Hart, the comedian. I mean, she's been rocking it. She has more, more social media posts than us, than me. She's been constantly recording and sharing videos to support because she has been always saying, as a woman myself, I have been standing for this rights. I have been uh, going through um, oppression, discrimination, and issues, and bullying, and problems. And now I see a woman movement, of course, accompanied by awesome, powerful, supportive men as well. That's why you called it correctly the Iranian revolution and not merely a women revolution, although it started with women and led by women. But now men are also a, a, a powerful part of it. They have been so supportive. So men and women uh, like shoulder to shoulder together you know that that is a great thing when a woman is in danger the men are running to save her and vice versa to sacrifice their their freedom their health their lives for one another but then sadly we have not heard really something although i personally have been waiting for it i was expecting i said amal will come she will come i mean we saw angelina julie we saw many 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 i mean penelope cruz we saw i mean roger waters was one of our first first supporters. He dedicated his first uh, concert after the, the outbreak of the Iranian revolution uh, with the large um, uh, uh, flyers in, in the and on, on his stage, on the stage, uh, as he was performing live as Woman Life Freedom and hashtag Masa Amini. So that was so powerful. And he has been already like releasing and showing and spreading a couple of videos right at the beginning. I mean, the first week of this movement. That was so meaningful. But uh, from them, unfortunately, I know I have not heard much. Maybe there were like one or two, three sentences somewhere that just lost in translation because they were probably not really bold or um, uh, communicated strongly enough or correspondent uh, uh, strong enough in the media. No, only that it, one. It's so interesting because I always think people start with big words in the beginning of their careers or so, and they make big promises. And then they shrink when on a global scale, there are, there's certain pressure on them or they are very financially comfortable and they feel like, why would I want to deal with that? Mm -hmm. You know, because I'm, my life is good. Do I really need pressure or stress? I think um, in, in my view, we have to stand up for what's right, independent of where we come from, which part of the world we live in, how much money we have, what's our social status or so on. Um, I feel very passionate about it. And I'm also thinking um, what happens actually in Iran, a lot of women organizations discuss about women rights. This is not about women rights. This is about humanity. This is about what happened for centuries in center, center, uh, certain countries. It impacts the way men view women. I would like to highlight that. It's once you force women to live a certain lifestyle and to live in fear and cover themselves, men will treat them differently. So this affects, on, affects also relationships, interactions, affects mm -hmm. men as well. So I don't want this to be a women problem. The hijab is not a women problem. <laughs> 
it's it's a family problem it's a humanity problem it's a global problem it's also impacting the way i view these women because if they are visiting let's say how many times um a when when i worked for dolce and gabbana I, I will remember for the rest of my life. It was this gorgeous princess. I'm not going to give names because she's still relevant. And she was just gorgeous, tall and slim, and she was covered. And then she, when she went to the feeding room, we brought all these gorgeous things because she was a VIP and she removed her hijab. I was stunned. She was just so gorgeous. It gives me chills. And I thought, why, why is she covering that? That's a gift to the world, right? And I, I want people to understand this is not about women's rights. This is not only about covering our face. It has a very deep um, meaning. And it impacts the way we interact with others. The way I interact with women who are covered. The way men, American men, interact with these women. You don't even know if you're allowed to speak with them, how you should address them. So this is a collective problem. It's a humanity problem. It's a global problem. It's not a women problem, a poor person problem, a rich person problem. It's everyone's problem right. that could be solved, right? So, um, sorry. Oh, yeah. I a bit, no, but... that, was, that was awesome. And that was very, very important because... Um, it has been lacking in the past uh, more than three months now, because as I said, we are now more than even 100 days past. It has been lacking in the social media and the major media um, and the official medias like TVs, like newspapers. That's, you know, that's a very sad thing. But uh, Western media earn more money uh, talking about women only. You know, not talking about humans, not talking about children, not talking about men all together. But I'm very happy that you also, um, like myself, from the very beginning, I have been also reflecting this movement and presenting this revolution very inclusively. I said, this is much larger than only one young girl. We have now workers in the oil and gas industry, in the major industries of Iran, when, when this regime is making his big money actually the most of the money and the income these are men who are going on on union strike and they are men who are fathers and providers of their families they let themselves let's say shrink also financially because they are supporting this movement they're supporting this revolution and they know if the oil and gas industry doesn't work for quite some time consistently then this regime will ultimately fall you know and we do, should not forget also the majority of this uh, awesome, young, innocent, uh, lively lives that have been sacrificed, they were men. So it means they have been also fighting on the side of the women for freedom. And they were helping even those girls who were going on the top of the, the walls or somewhere symbolic to, to like let those hairs down and burn those headscarves or something. Boys were helping them. They were lifting them up and say, go, go up. I'm, I'm going to hold you. I'm going to give you the Caesar if you want to do that, you know, symbolic act of cutting your hairs as a, as a um, sign of protest. You know, it's a traditional protest sign in the, in the area. So they couldn't, we couldn't have made it without a bold presence and the support of the man. So the, this, let's say the maturity of also the male part of the of the Iran and also of the Middle East, because a lot of people were saying, oh, if women go in front, they will fall anyway, because men are not going to support the Middle Eastern men. They want to have the women as slaves, etc. And nobody expected this to happen, that from day one, 
even the majority of that's those even more i think telling about how the world and how the country is ready to live a new life to start brand new to let go of all these limitations when you put limitations on people you put limitations on humanity yeah. i don't you know when people complain oh there's so much disaster in the world we could control all these disasters i'm not saying there's an overnight solution but by truly understanding and living up to today's standards. We are in 2023. We are educated right now. We have more access to education than ever. With a click of a button, I can talk to you right now all the way in Switzerland. I can talk maybe to, to someone, you know, in, in Middle East or so on. So why don't we do something about it? We do have access to, I think, technology to a certain extent alienated us and caused lots of troubles. But to, to another, from another perspective, we have the opportunity right now to change the world more than ever, faster than ever. And, and, and that's why I always say, you know, social media platforms, sometimes they can be our ally, but they could also be our enemy. But let's turn it into our ally. Let's communicate. Correct. And um, Ewen, so what do you think, I mean, from what you see right now happening with the media, with the Iranian revolution, what do you think the next steps would be from the perspective of a lawyer, I'm asking you right now, of women of influence, of women of value, right, who travels the world, works with an international clientele, what do you think would be the next steps in an ideal situation that would need to happen in order for change to start? Um, awesome point, uh, Virgilia. Thank you so much for mentioning that because I was almost like forgetting to 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 maybe ask you or to point that out. But I'm very happy that uh, you knew it. You knew it because uh, your country and your region have gone through a revolution as well. So you know what are the steps and what are the um, let's say the stages of not only the revolution but also the evolution that they need to go hand in hand. You know, it starts from our own maturity, our own character shifts, our own paradigm shifts, uh, mindset shifts, and a lot of things that needs to happen that sometimes it gives you even a uh, an early stage maturity. That is what we have not been also expecting from what was happening in Iran, that people were expecting the women are going to the streets alone. Nobody expected wow. men are coming and supporting them. So that maturity was somehow surprisingly properly in process throughout the past uh, over four decades in Iran under a dictatorship. And as you know, dictators use or abuse fear as a tool of terror. And that's why whatever the people have been doing there and still doing there, keeping that fire up in Iran and we, the Iranian diaspora outside of the Iran, uh, this, is, this is like a teamwork, it's a joint work, you know? So we're there, Mike, and they are the real power and they are, let's say, the fuel in the country. So they are making the power and we are helping that fire to, 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 to keep burning and stay alive. But that power and that impact and that, um, let's say, movement, uh, the power of human being can be limited. You know, you cannot go on the streets for years or you cannot go on strike for months because then you will need to, to, to provide your, for your family. You need to eat. And if on that stage, the international community does not uh, acknowledge this movement as a revolution, that these people are no longer acknowledging this regime or this system uh, as a legitimate, and that's a very, let's say, um, legal and also a very logical point. If a regime is no longer enjoying the legitimacy in the country and outside of the country, then the international community has to step up, has to step in 
and has to interfere in a positive way, not to get into the internal stuff, but needs to isolate that regime, need to stop negotiating with them. We have been uh, hearing now, it's very shameful that uh, EU uh, the past week and also the, the US, they have been trying to restore. It was a tweet of Mr. Uh, Joseph Bar Barrel from from EU that they have been meeting uh, with uh, most of the, the the global foreign ministers and also presidents in in uh, Baghdad conference in Jordan and he has tweeted like oh we had a very constructive meeting with the Iranian foreign minister as well and we try to renegotiate and restore the JCPOA, which is the Joint uh, Comprehensive Plan of Action, which is about uh, the atom, um, uh, the nuclear uh, activities of Iran, which we, we all know that they have been using it for uh, terrorism and for, for violence in the world. What kind of renegotiation and restoring with a system that is no longer considered and, and acknowledged by its own people? So now the people, in the country, they have done their job by far. It's been 100 days, brutality, barbaric um, regime measures, imprisonments, uh, violations, uh, rape, abuse, um, whatever you want to name it, executions, killing, shooting people in the streets, um, humiliating people, suppressing them. But now people are still moving on. Today we had already, again, uh, large protests to, to in the memory of those who have been killed, the young boys and girls of Iran in different areas and regions of Iran. But at this very moment, when we, at least ourselves, have tried to be the media, have been trying to be the voice and to reflect and represent what is going on there to make the media and also the politicians familiar with the facts, not only wishes and requests, but facts that are happening and people who are going in the streets risking their lives, not only their salaries or their car or whatever, their lives for freedom, for their basic rights, we need international support. And international support starts with isolating that country, asking their ambassador to come and deliver a, a, an explanation. And of course, that stage has passed because explanation, I mean, it's very clear now what is going on. And fact-finding committee in the United Nations have been also put together, but um, uh, we see whether they start the activity or not, or maybe it's going to, to pass that golden time or not. We don't know. We don't actually hope or rely on anything. We just demand. We demand justice and we demand uh, international, loyal, and also uh, solidarity commitments. Loyalty. Loyal. I love, I love the fact that you mentioned um, a one sentence I add to this, uh, Virgilia. I always also say in my speeches in the streets here, in the protests and in, in a TV or so, I say freedom is a collective right. It cannot be practiced individually. You can be free in your own room, but what does it mean? without you interacting with others, without you caring for other people's freedom and other people caring for your freedom. At the end of the day, everybody can be free its own in, in his own room or its own flat. But the, it starts being really free and practicing freedom. It starts when we socialize, when we get out, when we interact with other people, neighbors, friends, business partners, clients, and nations. Talking about global citizens, talking about globalizations, we cannot, we cannot by no means exclu exclude certain areas or certain regions because we don't care about them, although we are actually 
making our uh, biggest monies out of their resources and out of their um, the deals with them, you know. So this was, uh, I think, one last comment that I wanted to make and also the, the request or the demand, what we demand from international community is no longer really active support. We want passive support. Stop doing business with a dictatorship. Very simple. And they will run out of money and they will go. It's just the practicality of it, right? When you get to action, words are powerful, but action, nothing beats action, right? Um, Awin, I believe we talked about freedom today. I don't believe we are free any longer. The moment you, I, I see a lot of very successful financially people and also in terms of their reputation who are very depressed. How do I know they are depressed? There is a particular guy I admire very much and he literally had a nervous breakdown yesterday doing some stuff on social media that I was shocked because he's quite intelligent and very successful. And I realized, wait a second, we are no longer free, none of us, independent of how successful or wealthy, because we are consistently exposed to the tragedy of the world. And the moment you are exposed to that indirectly, in the proximity of danger and lack of freedom of speech, you become frightened yourself. That's why we see people committing suicide and we think, oh, this person was so successful, like Twitch, right, on Ellen. Yeah. But, but, but this, are th this has nothing to do with what happens on a global scale. The pandemic also impacted all of us, our mental health, mm -hmm. the way we interact. So this is, I want to precisely articulate, we no longer have freedom the moment we allow in different parts of the world for tragedies to happen. We are becoming enslaved by the tragedies of the world because we hear it. We are exposed to it on social media 24-7. You can't run away from tragic experiences. You can't run away from war, even though you might feel free on, might feel free on your own, but there's no freedom. When the whole world is collapsing, there's no freedom. You live in a jail, in a jail of your own existence. So that's why I would love to encourage everyone to understand that none of us is free until the world is free. And of course, these are not things that can be fixed overnight. We all know it will take decades, but it has to start today, not 10 years from now, not 20 years. Um, we can't just live for ourselves. We have to live by dedicating our purpose to generations to come, to humanity and to the world. The world gives us the gift of life. We have responsibility and accountability, which often we don't take. We only claim rights. I have the right to do this. I have. What about the obligations that we have towards the world, towards communities, towards people living in other parts of the world? So that's where I wanted to, to leave um, my comments. But I would love for you, before we end up this, Awin, to share your thoughts on what do you think each of us can do? Women, men living in any part of the world, at least people who have the freedom of speech, right? Who can be in front of, I don't know, a mic or, you know, on a social media. What do you think each of us could do to impact change, even on a smaller scale? Uh, look at you, Virgilia. You're already doing a great job. The moment you approached me and you told me that let us do this uh, podcast, let us have this chat and let that be the topic. We could have talked about millions other things. We know each other now. We had those clubhouse rooms every time. We had different topics. We could share so much with each other, and we did already. And we could have been continuing the same way. But now you saw your duty, your obligation. That's you just what what you just mentioned towards contributing to other people's freedom. 
And you just set everything else aside, say business is still an open talk. We can still run another podcast on that. We can still talk about like uh, women in business. We can still talk about great brands. We can still talk about uh, making an impact in the business world, etc. But all of that are is meaningless without the fundamental things um, uh, in the world as well. That what you did, so that is an example. You set an example for many, many other, not only women, but also men, those who have a mic, those who have a community, talk about it and reflect facts, not fake news. You know, that is what you just did. You just brought up someone from the country, living somewhere else, but still connected to the country, being active and not just wanted to, talk about something, but wanted to also make an impact, you know, to, to raise the voice or to be the voice of the people who are for sometimes during days that their internet or their other uh, communication and correspondence media and tools are being shut down and controlled and rest restricted by the regime, you know, and you just talked about like suicide of su successful people and they just did not expect it. That is how actually desperate human being is without caring for others and just by building up maybe his or her own empire, etc. Yes, we all can do it if we have that mindset, if we put the work into it, we have the right communities, the network, and give it the time and the patience and the power and the process that it takes. Yes, not everyone, because not everyone is ready to put all of these things that I just mentioned. But if the person is committed and doing this, yes, the success is guaranteed. But does that bring also that chill for you when you feel that fulfillment of contributing to somebody? Does it give you that feeling of being free without fear? You just mentioned it. Not everybody. We have a couple of great examples, of course, in the world. People who are in the higher level who have been contributing to the welfare and the lives of others. And welfare, I don't mean just to spend money or to just go to charities or to make a show off and say, oh, I paid like 100,000 to this and this project in, I don't know, Africa or in somewhere. Find out the cause. See why people in Africa are starving. Ever since we were born, Africa is in trouble. Why? I mean, all of these millions from celebrities and from cool, impactful people that has been going there, these people should have been actually doing well now. So that is one example. That has been a problem that has been always like bold for us, for maybe other people to make money, the cause and the effect, you know, we need to, to just go to our logic and see why one on one is two. I mean, wh 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 where is the reason? What is the cause for this effect? Now looking at Iran as let's say our, the, the topic of our day, we see, okay, this is what people want. And this is the reason that this demand and these requests are legitimate. And this is the reason that we need to care. Me as Virgilia, how can I show that I care? I have a mic. I have a community. I am a good speaker. And I know people that they can share their stories, that they can share the content, that they can share the facts. Let them come in and talk about it. Maybe five more people will, will know about it. So that is what you did. And that helps. I sometimes tell my neighbors that next tomorrow when you go in the bus or in the train and you see some people, just talk about Iran. Just ask them, have you heard about the recent movement and the developments and the revolution happening in Iran? If they say no, then tell them how come and tell them something and say that you have a neighbor. She's very engaged and she knows about it. And this has been a tragic thing and we need to care especially now we are in a country. I mean, I personally am in a country that has been setting example for international 
let's say conflict resolutions and solidarities and, and collaborations, etc. Switzerland, yeah, but we have been disappointed by their approach as well. I have been saying that also in the TV. I said, honestly, I am frustrated by the uh, Swiss politicians' devil standard. That cannot work. You cannot say we are neutral and therefore we don't we don't care. You cannot be neutral if you see somebody's massacred in front of you and you know what to do and you say, I'm neutral, I'm not going to get engaged. That's not the meaning of... That goes then towards ignorance and, um, you know, uh, indifference, not neutrality. So that has been something that, yeah, this country could have done, that politician could have done, that speaker, that podcast owner. It has a cumulative effect. Correct. Just we, all, we all need to put one part and be one small piece of that puzzle for that all to come together and work. Each and every one of us. You in Miami, I in Zurich, your friends in London, our people in Iran, um, maybe Miss Clooney in, in somewhere or all other people that have been contributing. It is a collective work. I, I love that it is a collective work, collective responsibility, accountability. As I was saying earlier, in this world, we don't just have human rights. We have obligations. We have to hold ourselves accountable, do a self-assessment every day and see if we did our best. And if every day we, we become 1% better, it still has a, um, an effect on the world and on the way we interact with others. Uh, before we end this up, I wanted to share with you a very famous Romanian doctor, a dear friend of mine, Dr. Rakitan. Um, I took one of my friends to him and he asked him, what, how do you think I could fight depression? And he said, you know how you're going to fight depression? Do something good. Work with a charity. Find purpose in changing someone else's life. And you will see how much healing will come from that. And at the time, I did not factor in as much. But now I realize, you know, if you find a cause higher than yourself, mm -hmm. you stop paying attention too much on how you feel and you extend your passion into the world and you start living for others as well. The problem with our society is that we became so self-sufficient and self-centered that we forget that love starts with caring for someone else. Correct. And so, we forget that we are social animals. And we cannot survive on a lonely island. Yeah, maybe we can survive, but we will turn to be a, a depressed, isolated, um, uncivilized and uncultivated person after a couple of years that cannot even communicate love or language or feelings with anyone. At the end of the day, even if we do not feel the love for other people, but as social animals, that is our nature. That is our nature to be caring. And then the fulfillment will bring that freedom and that feeling of, I did something. That's Contribution, awesome. Contributing to the world. So this episode was dedicated to the beautiful, to the memory of Mahsa Amini, to the people of Iran, to the Iranian revolution, to the future of Iran, for the young children who are fighting to survive and for their better future. So this is for, for the people of Iran. And thank you, Aywin, for, for the work that you do. Um, and um, I cannot wait to reconnect and perhaps do another episode and see what happens in a couple of months. Let's just pray for the best. I really hope, I really hope that we will have 
uh, good news to share. I mean, we are still having good news. It is it is a process, but hopefully uh, the next time we reconnect, uh, we can have a bigger smile because the past time we all have become a bit depressed, a bit sad. It is it is huge. It's a huge pressure, but uh, we still uh, we still fight and move forward uh, despite all. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure from Iran to London to Zurich to Iran with much love. Thank you.